Why would... Wait, I, I want to capture this on tape. Donahue. These recorders are for professional use only. This is not professional. Isn't it, though? Come on, Charles. This last week we've spent no more than, what, five minutes in the same room? Studies have shown that having a friend in the workplace increases productivity. My productivity is fine. Perhaps, dear Charles, I didn't mean you. Okay, but that recorder... I brought from home, remember? So I'll ask again. What is your takeout preference? Tacos or Thai? Uh, if I had to pick... I don't know. Tacos. Really? Tacos? That's your choice for takeout? Donahue. No, no, you're right. I asked. I just didn't think you would pick the wrong answer. No, Donahue. Look. There. What? Oh, well. Now that is fascinating. Did you leave that here last night? Did I leave a bright red folder mere feet from the door inside the office? Why would I do that? If I were to pull a prank on you, Charles, trust me, it would be leagues above this. Plus, is now a good time to tell you that I need another key? What happened to the one I gave you? I broke it. Uh, is now really the time? Focus, Charles. If I didn't leave it, and you didn't, then... But you... Uh, right. Someone broke in. We should alert building security. Well, let's not be too hasty, Charles. But if someone broke into this office, I... Yes, yes, sensitive information and all that. However, who breaks into an office and puts something there? No harm in seeing what it is first. We're going to have to do inventory on what we know, see if anything is missing. You get started on that and oh I'll... Oh my, now this is interesting. It's a report by the looks of it. It would seem by a private investigator, by 1H Gray. Where have I heard that name before? Hold on. One of my first days here, I misplaced a folder. Bright red. Charles! I'm aghast. You lost a folder. No, I misplaced it. Consider it still misplaced, since the date on this report is today's. The ink might as well still be wet. Oh, the name! H. Gray, I know where I know it from. Uh, what was that patient's name? David something. I want to say Snizzler? No, nah, not important. The research that was attached to that file was a report by this H. Gray character. Your point? My point being, Charles, is that this P.I. works or has worked for Dr. Olin. He may even be the P.I. on our very floor. Okay, good for him. As brilliant as you are, you can be incredibly thick sometimes. Dr. Olin wasn't always in his office. Frankly, he rarely was. H. Gray may not know that Dr. Olin is no longer an employee of Clear Minds, but Dr. Olin could have given him a key. See? No break-in. Mystery solved. Elementary, my dear Watson. How would you know that Dr. Olin was never in his office? Huh? Oh, I... I don't... I mean, it's a guess. I get the feeling from him. Don't you? Reading his notes and such? Give it here. What? The folder. Of course, but why? We should make an audio log of it as well. <sighs> Lately, I assumed that Dr. Olin did the professional thing and transferred all of his patients to different therapists. After all, we have been in this office for how long now? We haven't got a single phone call, nor a single knock on the door, no appointments. That is strange, yes. 
this folder with today's date suggests at the very least we have one, or maybe even a case he was considering taking. It could also just be this H. Gray is very late on turning this in. In either case, we have to log it. I have to log it. You have your own stuff that needs to be logged. Oh, come on, Charles. That's not fair. Correct, but it is your job. All right, fine. I will need to hear the story later. I'll suppose I'll leave you to it. He never said that, by the way. Excuse me? Elementary, my dear Watson. Sherlock never said that. Surely you're mistaken. He must have. No, the closest he got was in the short story, The Crooked Man. Quote, I see that you are professionally rather busy just now, said he, glancing very keenly across at me. Yes, I've had a busy day, I answered. It may seem very foolish in your eyes, I added, but really, I don't know how you deduced it. Holmes chuckled to himself. I have the advantage of knowing your habits, my dear Watson, said he. When your round is a short one, you walk. When it is a long one, you use a hansom. As I perceive that your boots, although used, are by no means dirty, I cannot doubt that you are at present busy enough to justify the hansom. Excellent, I cried. Elementary, said he. End quote. You are an odd man, Charles. Dr. Charles Talbot, recording for Clear Minds, Inc., Outpatient Therapy Division, Internal Records. The date is July 18th, 2022. I'm going to be reading from a folder which we assume was dropped off by 1H Gray. Refer to Dr. Lucian Donahue's tape of this date for further information. I'll skip most of H. Gray's notes here. They read like a bad noir novel. I'll just be reading the accounts of the patient. Uh, potential patient? I guess I'll just refer to this person as subject for now. Subject name, Cody Moore. Transcript as follows. You think I want to be here? You think I want to be in some seedy motel on the outskirts of town if I could avoid it. Yeah, I know, when you first contacted me, I was dismissive. The second and third time, I was rude and even hostile. But you seeked me out, remember? You said you wanted to help, that you would take this thing off my hands. Well, I'm calling that in. So, just take it. You agree to take it, and I'll hop back into my car and get it for you right now. You're not even going to say anything. You can't be serious. I know, I know you said you'd only take it if I told you how I got it and what's happened since. It's just, if I tell you, you won't take it. This is ridiculous. Fine, fine. I'll tell you, but you have to promise that you'll take it. I work for Stanton and Price. It's a law firm here in the city. I was a nobody at the office. 
Technically, I'm a lawyer, but I was never really given cases. Stanton and Price has a reputation. It's a small office, sure, but everyone who works there has passed the bar. Yes, I mean everyone. So, we have kids there cleaning the bathrooms, emptying bins and making coffee. All of them, bona fide lawyers. It's part of the appeal and plastered all over marketing. Unorthodox? <laughs> yeah, you could say that. But what we waste on salaries, we more than make up for with the type of clients that we bring in. So that's my job. I get paid an obscene amount of money to print files and deliver mail to the many offices. And that is where I found it. About a week before that, however, the company let go of one of our senior staff. He simply stopped showing up for work. Rumor around the office was something about a scandal with one of the founder's wives. Price, I think. Anyway, this guy's name was Josh Robinson. Robinson kept getting mail, and although I knew he wasn't ever going to receive it, I didn't get the marching orders to reroute it. And the company is very strict about performing our duties and only our duties as described. For that entire week, I kept piling letter after letter, file after file on his desk. Every day, it was the same, except for the last one. So... I walk in to deliver some piece of mail, and immediately I notice something's different. Sitting on one of the chairs, normally reserved for the clients, is this... thing. At the time, I guess I didn't see it that way. I was drawn to it. This beautiful leather briefcase. Working for Stanton and Price, you get a pretty good eye for high quality. Instantly, I knew, well, thought I knew what it was. Valentino rock stud. <laughs> Those things go close to 4,000 easy. I could list off the details and why it's one of the top tier briefcases, but uh, let's be honest, it's the brand that matters. One thing I will tell you is that the Valentino brand looks and functions more like an over-the-shoulder bag. Up until this point, I have never stolen anything. Not so much a cookie from Grand's Jar. But something about it pulled me in. It was like it was begging me to take it. I ran my fingers over its straps and it just felt right. When you want something badly, your mind does this thing where it justifies anything that leads you to get it. Like, for example, I knew this didn't belong to Robinson. The office would be a buzz if he showed up even briefly. So my first thought was maybe it belonged to an illustrious client. Maybe they were led to the wrong office by mistake, and when that mistake was corrected, they forgot it. I know the rational and responsible thing would be to leave it alone. They would surely realize it and come back for it. Going back to that whole justifying mind thing, however, I reasoned that I would go that extra mile, open the briefcase, find an ID of sorts, and return it to whoever lost it. My heart pounded when my fingers inched toward the buckle. Like I was back in high school in the back of my prom date's car fumbling for a bra strap. Unlike that night, however, I was able to pop it off with ease. I peered inside. It was empty. The black silk lining made it seem as if it was bottomless. My hands searched through it. 
undoing any zippers or compartments. Nothing. It was odd, sure, but not unheard of. Many guys at the office had briefcases that were empty. It was all about that fancy image, the prestige of Stanton and Price. If it was one of the guys, and they haven't come back for it yet, then they most likely wouldn't. <laughs> Not because it wasn't important, but because they simply couldn't remember where they put it. Besides, they would have already turned the office upside down looking for the briefcase. So, being the stand-up guy I am, I made the decision to place it on my mail cart in full view. I was sure that after a few rounds of mail delivery, whoever's it was would recognize it and claim it. Brownie points for me, well, that was just a bonus. It slipped from my mind throughout the day, and it only ever returned when I'd glance at the front of my mail cart. The end of the day rolled around, I made my way out to my car and said my goodbyes to a few co-workers, and then climbed inside. I rearranged the case as I did so. Funny thing is, I didn't know how it even got on my shoulder. It just was. If it wasn't for that awkward movement of nearly sitting on it, I don't think I would have noticed. By then, the office would have been locked up, and most of the cars had already pulled out of the lot. It wasn't a big deal. I would just take it home and bring it back the next day. And I did just that. The following day, I walked in, the briefcase hanging off my hip. Two things happened that day. First, Robinson was taken off my list. I passed by his office a few times, and it was cleared out. I didn't think anything of it at the time. Now, however, yeah, I think plenty of it. I came in as we opened the doors. We don't have overnight staff, and we have state-of-the-art security systems. Yet, his entire office was clear. I mean, freshly vacuumed carpet, a new coat of paint, no furniture, nothing. Even the J. Robinson was peeled off his door. The second thing that happened was throughout the day, I kept getting the odd comment on my briefcase. Compliments and thinly veiled jealousy. It felt pretty good, actually, even if it was a bit weird. Like I said, though, the day before that, it was in plain view, so it's not like they didn't see it then, right? Looking back, that's when I should have just given it to someone, anyone. If the damn thing could be burned or thrown out, maybe that was the time to try. God knows I've tried since. But I didn't. I made the stupid decision that if no one claimed it, by the end of the day, I would simply keep it. The closer it got to that time, the more guarded I became. I started to try and obscure it when people walked past. Of course, no one claimed it. The next few days after that were boring, routine as usual, as they say. That was until the gas station. There I was, waiting in line, the briefcase strapped around my shoulder. A dark impulse crawled its way through me. A few steps ahead of me was one of those stands that's meant to get people to buy last-minute items. Dangling from its many hooks were a wide variety of novelty keychains. The line moved. I was standing right next to that stand. That impulse grew stronger, like a constant echo bouncing off the inside of my skull. 
The attendant turned his back to grab a pack of smokes for the guy at the register. Without thinking, I fed that now need. My hand shot out, nimbly plucked one of the keychains, and slipped it into the briefcase. All before the gas station worker turned back around. Adrenaline came crashing in as the line moved. My heart was beating so fast when it was my turn. I paid my $60 for gas and bought some gum. I didn't need the gum, but, well, you see it in all the shows. If you're going to shoplift, buy some gum. The high I felt as soon as I exited was like nothing I have ever experienced. And as someone who went to law school, I've had my fair share of highs. That all snapped away when I heard a voice call out so abruptly. Your voice, actually. You were there for that, but at this point, why not include you in the story? You introduced yourself, which, by the way, is weird that you go by H. Gray. Like, either go by your last name, or by your first. Don't abbreviate like that. What does the H stand for, anyway? You are just going to stare at me. Yeah, that's, uh, that's cool. <clears throat> anyway, so, you zeroed in on my briefcase and started barraging me about it. Where did I get it? How long have I had it? Do I know what it is? How much have I fed it? That last question didn't even register at the time. My nerves were stripped. In a matter of seconds, I went through the rush of shoplifting, the dismay of being caught, to confusion some strange guy who I assumed was a homeless dude wearing an old duster jacket and a cowboy hat. So I ignored you and rushed to my car. Didn't even pump my gas. I just drove off. I waited until I parked in a lot outside the office before opening the thing. My hand searched for my little treasure, a keychain that said I heart the big city on it. I couldn't find it. I turned that thing upside down and gave it a good shake. At the time, I figured it must have fallen out in my attempt to escape you. Eh, whatever. Easy come, easy go, I guess, right? That dark echo found me throughout my shift. Every once in a while, an urge overtook me. Bethany's stapler, Frank's coffee mug, Tony's paperclips. All of them went in the briefcase. Each time I was hit with a rush. I didn't need any of these things, but at the same time, I needed them. When I got home, I ran to my bedroom. I acted like some sort of goblin. I closed my blinds, and I made sure the door was also closed and locked. I undid the buckle and poured the items out. At least, I did the motions of it. Like with the keychain, Nothing in it remained. It was empty. Now I'm not, wasn't, a superstitious man, but that instantly didn't sit right with me. I made my way to my kitchen, opened a bottle of very expensive wine, and poured myself a glass. After about three glasses, I realized how I was acting, and it wasn't me. Shoplifting? Stealing office supplies, that's not who I am. An irrational thought hit me, but it was also the right one. It was that briefcase, that evil thing 
laying on my bed. So I marched upstairs, grabbed it, angrily threw it out, wheeled my trash bins to the curb, and then finished off the rest of that bottle. I was through with that briefcase. But as you know, it wasn't through with me. I fed it, and it wanted more. The next day I went to work, after stopping off for gas and dropping another 60. I was also a little hungover. I was called into one of the partner's offices. I was surprised and nervous when both Stanton and Price greeted me. They asked me to close the door and take a seat. I did, and the entire office stared at me as I did so. My mind whirled. Was I being fired? Was the briefcase one of theirs? Did they catch me stealing office supplies? Of course they did! Why did I think I could get away with that? We have cameras so stupid, how could I forget about the cameras? Promotion. My ears clung to that word, and I let out a, huh? They repeated themselves. They needed someone to take Robinson's spot, and they chose me. It made no sense. Yes, as mentioned, I am a lawyer. But so is everyone in the office, some of which have actual clients and actual cases. Promoting me, the male guy? That was an odd choice. I didn't argue, though. Until it was offered to me, I didn't realize how badly I wanted the position. How unsatisfied I had become delivering parcels. How my potential was being wasted. I felt that old flame rekindle in me, but also something else. I can't explain it, but I knew that I had gotten this job because of the briefcase. It didn't make any sense, but uh, it was like a little thank you, like a reward for feeding it. As I made my way out of their office, Stanton looked me dead in the eye and said, Get yourself a briefcase, son. You're going to need it. I found an excuse to get out early. And you can bet I sped the entire way home. Praying they forgot to take my trash. I knew, just knew, that this promotion would be taken from me if I didn't have that briefcase. And you know what? At the time, I thought, what's a few keychains? an odd stapler here and there. If that was the price to pay for a corner office, I could afford as many paperclips that damned thing could ever want. I pulled into my driveway and jumped out of my car with the engine still running. The trash was gone. Anxiety racked my body and mind. I refused to believe it and checked it a few more times. It was okay. I just had to look up where they took the trash, go there, and get the briefcase. I finished pulling my car up and went inside. If I was going to dumpster dive, <laughs> it wasn't going to be in a $5,000 suit. As soon as I was past the threshold, I froze. Sitting there, on the floor, in pristine condition, was the briefcase. I have no idea why I was shocked. I mean... The thing gave me a promotion, and yet, I just stood there. I have no idea for how long. When I finally recovered, I snatched the briefcase and went back to work. 
The following weeks went as I expected. I got a high-profile case. Got respect. Power. All the things I wanted. It only cost me more office supplies and a client's fountain pen. So you can understand why when you walked into my office, I laughed when you tried to explain. You tried to tell me it wouldn't stop there, that the thing's hunger would only grow and the price would only become more steep. I'm sorry, by the way, for the names and curses. <clears throat> you were right. The case I was working on became a real nail-biter. It was exciting and nerve-wracking all at once. The opposition and I went head-to-head, and there was just as much chance that the judge would rule in my favor as there was that he would rule in hers. That night, I was poring over document after document at home. I knew my Hail Mary was there somewhere. I just had to find it. The briefcase rested at the far end of the table. A sudden urge came over me. A familiar urge. I looked up in confusion. What could it want? My eyes met the briefcase before trailing around my study. The urge would always hit me when I saw the object it wanted, but never the other way around. So, this was a first. The feeling passed. I tried to go back to work. No sooner than my eyes met the paper did the urge return. What could it want with some silly document? I shrugged. I mean, what do I care? I could always print another, so... In the briefcase it went. I picked up the next document. The urge remained, stronger than before. Fine, yes, whatever, take it. And it did. Soon, every scrap of research and case details disappeared into the void of the briefcase. But the urge didn't go away. It didn't subside. I yelled at the cursed thing. What do you want? See, I've always been an animated man. I talk with my hands. A lot. So when my eyes grazed the side of my ring... I finally knew what that urge told me it wanted. For the first time, I hesitated. That ring was a wedding band. My wife, she, uh, she passed a few years back. Uh, throat cancer. <clears throat> so, for the first time, I refused. I told it no. I, I tried to go back to work. I even slipped the ring off and placed it into my pocket. I got nowhere in the case. The ring seemed to burn into my thigh. Having enough, I went to bed. Angry with the briefcase, angry with myself, angry with everything. It took a long time to actually fall asleep. I woke up in the study. One hand held the briefcase open, and the other gripped my ring, ready to drop it into its maw. I pulled back, tripping over the rug and fell hard onto the floor, while the ring rolled under the bookshelf. Instinctively, I scrambled for it, but my fingertips just kept grazing off the gold. 
That might have been a blessing, I thought, because if I couldn't reach it, I couldn't feed it to the briefcase. It would have to change its mind, have to pick something else. It, of course, didn't follow my logic. The need to feed it my ring just grew. I paced for hours, fighting that urge. At some point, I had enough. I retreated to the garage and grabbed some lighter fluid. I re-entered my study, grabbed the wastebasket, and threw that damn thing into it. I gave it one more chance as I stared at it with a lighter fluid in one hand and a big lighter in the other. The impulse didn't fade. It called my bluff. I doused the thing and lit it ablaze, only squeezing more lighter fluid whenever the fire dimmed. When I was sure, absolutely sure, that nothing could have survived my controlled inferno, I let the fire die. And with it, so did the urge. At first. That feeling came back like a tidal wave hitting a cliffside. Looking inside the wastebasket, I was shocked, but not surprised, to see that the briefcase was untouched. Not a single scorch mark, no sign of damage, and even the leather was cool to the touch. That fire took the last of my effort to resist. I began to rationalize why feeding it my wedding band wasn't a big deal. Becca had been gone for years. If she knew this could be good for my career, she would want me to do it. It was just a piece of metal. I could always buy a new one. I don't know which thought was the deciding factor, but I don't think it actually mattered in the end. The important part was that I did it. I pushed and pulled that wooden titan of a bookshelf until it wobbled across the floor. And with a shaky hand, in plopped the ring. Near instantly something happened. I don't mean that the urge vanished. I mean, it did. Like so many times before, it was replaced with this satisfied feeling, this almost euphoric bliss, but that's not what I'm talking about. That feeling went away very quickly when I realized I couldn't remember her face. Rebecca. My Rebecca. Her face was a blur in my memories. Her voice was distorted. One by one, I could feel each memory becoming chewed up and left in tatters. It was like each thought of her was a piece of meat being consumed. What was left was just the bone, the core remnants of who she was, but the shape, the details were all violently missing. I won the case, by the way. I never did find my Hail Mary. My opposer just started slipping up. What was once a neck-and-neck -neck battle became an easy slaughter. After a few weeks passed, I did the only thing I could. Shove the guilt of what I did deep down, which was getting harder and harder. Each time I fed it, I couldn't help but to wonder, was I putting anyone else through that? I think I did. A few times after I swiped some benign knick-knack or whatever, I could 
see confusion mixed with panic and sadness and some of the faces shortly after. I avoided going home as much as possible. Each time I did, a small piece of my life was always taken, ripped to shreds. My life and my memories became a charcuterie board. One night, it required the deed. And as it was being consumed, so was that feeling of home, that safety and that sense of belonging. I tried staying away, and for a while that worked. But that damn thing kept bringing me back kept insisting on snacks that could only be found there. Eventually, I stopped fighting it. The prizes were getting bigger, though. Bigger clients, a bigger office. I even won a raffle that I forgot I entered. The prize was a new car, Porsche Cayman. It all began to ring hollow. What was the point of these things when anything that had any real meaning was slowly being stripped from me? So when you tracked me down at my house, I was broken and defeated. The lack of sleep probably didn't help. All the anger, all the guilt I had been pushing down came bursting forward when you mentioned that briefcase. I didn't even remember all that I said, but I know it was horrible. And I was just using you as a grounding rod. Again, I, I am sorry. You dropped a matchbook that had this motel's name on it. I knew even then you did it on purpose. You're not as slick as you think. You have to understand, I didn't give it to you then because... because you know why now, don't you? I didn't want your life to turn into this. Now, though, I don't care. So much has changed since then. My thoughts and memories were all but gone, but the hunger of it just grew. I have fed it hair shaven from my head, fingernails pulled from each hand, toes that I have chopped off, and each day it asks for another piece. Large sections of skin have been peeled off my thighs. So at this point I give in, I give up. No fancy job title, no lotto winnings, no swimming pool is worth this. So, you agreed. You promised. You wanted it, so just take it. Here, H. Gray seems to just describe his nod. Marks about the rain and some sentimental nonsense. Let's see. There doesn't seem to be any more parts in here from this Codium War. Apparently, that was the last time H. Gray talked to Mr. Moore. The file includes a missing persons report. Hmm. I am, of course, worried for Mr. Moore's state of mind, but I'm not sure what I could do. What was Dr. Olin's intention with hiring this P.I.? <sighs> I suppose it doesn't matter. I would like Donahue's thoughts on this. After I get some actual work done, that is. I am including this tape in my reports because, although not directly related to a patient of Dr. Olin, this could help me understand his process moving forward. Now, that may have been the most interesting file I have recorded to date. Wait until Charles hears this one. The twist at the end with the pear tree? Who knew fruit could be so exciting? Oh, 
So sorry, I didn't see you there. Watch where you're going next time, kid. Did you just come out of Greg's office? Who now? The janitor. Can't say I know who... Uh, oh. Oh! Surely you mean the ex-janitor. We've claimed that space for over a week at this point. We? Who's we? Have we met? You look familiar. Can't say we have. I'm Lucian, uh, Dr. Donahue. Charles and I have not seen this Greg character. If you're looking to give a message, I can't help you, I'm afraid. I'm not. Gray. H. Gray. As in THE H. Gray? Well, now Charles will simply be over the moon. Quick, tell me, what was in that folder you left for us? I want to get a sneak peek before Charles recants the whole story to me later. Folder? I didn't send you any folder. Of course you did, Mr. Gray. H. Gray. You left it just inside the office. Bright red, today's date, had some fellow by the name of, uh, what was it, uh, Cody something. That wasn't meant for you. That was meant for Olin. You shouldn't be in his office. Now, now, let's just calm down. Perhaps you didn't hear. Dr. Olin has retired. Charles is his replacement from Clear Minds. And, wait, where are you going? I don't believe you. Fascinating. Wait, hold up! This episode was written and produced by Christopher George. Charles Talbot was played by Christopher George. Lucian Donahue was played by Dakota Hamlin. H. Gray was played by Michael Williams. Script editing was done by Dalton Lewis. As you may have noticed, we have yet another voice that was stolen for the patient files. I would like to personally thank him, and all of you listeners, for being such a big part of the journey. Please share this with everyone you meet on the sidewalk today, and give us a rating or review. It really helps us out. If you wanted to help out even further, consider becoming a patron on our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash thepatientfiles. As always, stay safe, stay sane.